How many love Corey? His passion for the Lord. And uh, man, I, we were like trying to give them distance and, and I was just checking on him. Like we, we were kind of like hermit crabs when, when we had babies. We just kind of wanted a few weeks of just like getting to know our baby, no, very few interruptions. Like they're out and about. Corey's back to work. Uh, Anna was dropping off gr- um, their daughter at our at girls day that my wife has for, for some kids and at our home and baby's there. I was like, holy cow. They were like at it. And they're like, yeah, that's just, this is how we do it. So anyways, man, thanks for filling in. We love you. Appreciate you. Alrighty. You guys ready to rock this morning? So if Steve and Patty are watching, we say we love you guys. We miss you. We wish that you were here. And Steve, we're so excited for you to bring the word whenever you are back. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here this morning and to get to share with you guys. And we did just have a baby. Um, but we're feeling good. This, this, I think it gets a little easy. I don't know if it gets easier if you get a little better at it each time, but we have found that each baby, we've, we felt a little bit more prepared for it. Anna's a baller. She's absolutely incredible, really at everything, but like with our kids, she's, she's just amazing with them. And so we've got our little almost three-week-old here, Yvette Oasis. So you guys can peek at her. Uh, she's chilling over there. We've got grandparents in the house, and we've got my wife's sister and, and her husband, Jake. And so we're super excited for them to be in town. So just a privilege to get to share with you guys this morning. Like Aaron said, I got uh, a message in the middle of the week asking me if I would like to preach. And so I haven't been planning for this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, It was a little bit last minute. So what I'm going to do today is I want to bring you all into, into my secret place. What I've been studying, what I've been wrestling with, where I've been meditating, the passage of scriptures that, that have been for me. I'm, I'm going to try to bring you into my journal today. And I want to bring you into, into what's been on my heart. And so, and, and I feel like it might be for some of you as well. But the topic today, and I think we, we got it up there, if, if you want to put the first slide. We're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. And this is where I've been at. I've been reading through Proverbs. And in the first few chapters of Proverbs, you are introduced multiple times to the concept of the fear of the Lord. And if you know anything about Proverbs, you know that Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. They are written by different authors. There are different wise men who, who wrote and spoke and then later collected and compiled these wise sayings. And the book is not just a collection of wise saying, but the purpose of the book is to impart wisdom to whoever is reading the book or to hear the book. So it's a book that's really about wisdom. Most of you would know that. But what's amazing is that it says this multiple times in the first few chapters that the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Another way that it says it is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Another way that it says it is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it says without the fear of the Lord, you can't have wisdom and you can't have knowledge. And so it says that beneath this idea of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and insight and the ability to do life well and the ability to lead well and the ability to make good choices and the ability to find true happiness. Underneath that is this thing called the fear of the Lord. It's at the base. It's at the foundation. And if we don't understand the fear of the Lord, then we're going to be misguided as we try to pursue wisdom and knowledge. How many of you guys know that that's true, that you can go into our secular universities and you can be exposed to some of the wisest, smartest, most knowledgeable, most educated individuals, but that sometimes they can give you information that will lead your life astray. 
right? I want to say this just at the start, that any wisdom or any knowledge that's not rooted in the fear of the Lord is actually not going to lead you to ultimate success, right? If you read a book from someone who's great at public speaking and they give you wisdom on public speaking, you might get better at public speaking, but it doesn't mean that your life is going to ultimately be successful, Does that make sense? If you read a book on leadership and you gain wisdom on leadership and you lead well, but you don't understand the fear of the Lord and that your life is ultimately unto the glory of God and that you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then you will be a great leader who ends up far from God in eternity. And your life is ultimately not wise. Do you guys see how that works? And so what this book says is that if we don't have the fear of the Lord, if all wisdom and knowledge isn't rooted back into the fear of the Lord, then it's ultimately misguided, leading us in the wrong direction, deceiving us into thinking that we're successful and we're not actually successful. And one day we'll look back and say, man, I wish I would have known God. And so today I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. Now, this can be a controversial topic, and I understand that this can be a controversial topic for two reasons. One is that there are some people that only emphasize the fear of the Lord or they overemphasize the fear of the Lord. And I would say that there are even some preachers and teachers and book writers throughout history who have gone into fear tactics, meaning that they're trying to get people to give themselves to God and in their desperate attempts to get people to see God and to know God and to love God, they actually begin to move into a type of control and manipulation. Aaron talks about, he says, I'm gonna try to scare the hell out of you, right? I'm gonna try to scare you enough to get you to want God. Friends, that doesn't work. I could get up here and I could tell you about the scariness of God and there actually are things about God that are absolutely terrifying. And we're gonna talk about some of those today. But I I can't scare you out of hell. I can't scare you into the love of God. I can't scare you into the arms of the Father. And that's not what the fear of the Lord is about. And so I wanna wanna stay away from that extreme, but I wanna say this, there's also an extreme over here where we never talk about the fear of the Lord. Where the Lord is this big fluffy teddy bear that we're just like cuddling with all day long and there's no sense of reverence. There's no sense that you're in the presence of someone that's utterly unlike you holy, different, distinct, who says my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The one who's called God most high, the one who sits enthroned in the heavens, the one that has freaky looking creatures around him, one with the face like a lion with wings and eyes that are crying out, holy, 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 right? Like, do we know him, right? That's not big cuddly teddy bear. It says in Revelation 4 that there's a storm that rages all around him. It says in the throne room that it's made of a crystal sea and that crystal sea is intermingled with fire. If you are standing in the throne room of God, you're standing in a vortex of glory on a floor of glass with fire erupting everywhere and freaky looking creatures crying out, holy, holy, holy. That's not cuddly teddy bear Jesus, right? And so I want to, I want to find that middle ground where we're not trying to manipulate people with fear to come into the love of God. It never works. It never works, right? But where we also aren't talking about God in ways that are not worthy of him. And here's where I want you to flip to the second slide. A.W. Tozer said it like this, what comes in our minds 
when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That your conception of God, the image that comes into your mind when I say the word God, that's life-defining for you. And if that image is wrong, right, if that conception is off, if it's not in alignment with what has been revealed in the Word of God, that's actually a dangerous place to be in. Because then you're worshiping something that you call God that is not like God. Isn't that a dangerous place to be in? Wouldn't it be terrifying to spend your whole life worshiping something that you call Jesus that's nothing like Jesus? And that when you stand before Jesus, you look at him and said, I didn't even actually know you. You're different than what I had imagined. What I want to have happen when I stand in front of Jesus and I get to see him not with eyes of faith, but with these eyes, is I look at him and say, that's exactly the man that I was hanging out with when I was in my prayer closet when I was 20. You're the one who showed up at church. You're the one that whispered to me. You're the one who was in the Word when I was studying. You were the one that was there every day of my life, and I knew you. And when you're staring at him, you get this feeling of, I already knew you. I already knew you, and now I'm getting to see you in fullness. Isn't that what you want? And so today we want to talk about the fear of the Lord, and I want to make sure that you have that that middle ground, that you actually have this at the foundation of your understanding. And I want to say this. Some people are afraid that if we talk about the fear of the Lord, that it will diminish the love of the Lord. Actually, what I hope to show you today is that you can't have a full appreciation of the outrageous love of God if you haven't first understood the fear of God. You won't feel no power in what you've been saved from if you don't understand the wrath of God. You will not marvel at the cross if you don't understand the judgment that existed before the cross. We need to understand both dimensions to have depth in the knowledge of God. You guys with me? All right, let's dive into this thing. So we're going to just crush through some verses here for the next few minutes. We're going to go Bible study mode. If you have your journals out or your notebooks, this would be a really good time to jot down. I'm not going to read every single one of these passages. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to reference some. I might read one or two of them, but I'm going to give you guys quite a bit of Scripture that you could dive into this week on your own if you have time and you're interested. So we're gonna, we're gonna go two slides forward, okay? And we're gonna start out with this concept is what I wanna say is the revelation. So at the beginning of time, there was not a full revelation of God that had been given to humanity. Meaning this, God had hidden himself And he had not revealed all of the details about himself. In fact, God has not yet even revealed all of the details about himself. There's more to come. Okay? And over time, God began to—we're going to use this fancy word—reveal himself. The word reveal, it's the image of taking a curtain and pulling it back so you can see the thing that was hidden behind the curtain. Okay? So over time, through the centuries— Two different people. God revealed himself. He pulled back the curtain and he showed them what he was like. Adam, 
and then Noah, and then Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And then Moses, and then the children of Israel, right? God unveiled himself, revealed himself to them. And I want to share with you a few things that he revealed. If we look back at some of these passages, we'll see what God showed them, okay? And the first one is this. This is I only listed a couple of the verses, but there's actually probably five to ten verses that say what this first thing is. Is that the Lord is one to be feared. Okay? If you guys ever read in your English Bibles, the Lord is awesome. Or the Lord is great and awesome. That word awesome is a word that has been cheapened in English, right? I say that every there is a song, everything is awesome. If you guys... If you watch the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and in our culture, everything is awesome. I say awesome about everything, right? I like stub my toe and I'm like, that was awesome, right? Like it, it, it has come to mean next to nothing. But actually the better translation of that word it, in the Hebrew, it's directly from the verb for to fear, to be in awe, to be in wonder, to be astounded, to have your breath taken away, to be out of your comfort zone, to be on the edge of something much bigger than you. God is that. He is one to be feared. And it says that over and over and over again. Here's what else it says about God in the Bible. It says that the Lord is to be feared above all other gods, that there is no other authority, there is no other power, there is nothing that's scarier than God, right? The VeggieTales song rings true that God is bigger than the boogeyman. It's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV, right? If you've seen this, right, that is true that God is bigger and scarier and more terrifying than any other thing that you might say is freaky, right? Have you guys seen that they just launched a new telescope into space? Has, any, has anyone seen this online? Does anyone watch YouTube? Okay, me neither, right? Uh, so on YouTube, Right, they, they've been posting all these vi videos from the James Webb tele, uh, tele, tele help, scope, telescope that just went into space. And this thing can see farther and more accurately than any other thing that we've ever put out there. Right? And one of the things that it just found, this kind of freaked me out, is that way, 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 way out in space, they found a cluster of galaxies, and there is a black hole the size of a galaxy that is eating other galaxies. That is terrifying, right? I'm like, there's like a, there's like a space shark out there eating space. Like that, if I was anywhere close to that thing, I would be horrified. And then I think, God, is, God made that. God's bigger than the space shark black hole, right? Like God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's more terrifying and, and he actually created things that are, that, are, that, are, that are kind of freak you out a little bit. The Lord is to be feared above all other gods. Bring that revelation with you into spiritual warfare. When you start to get a little bit intimidated by demons and the demonic and the devil and what he's up to and his assignments on the planet. Friend, God created a space shark. There's a black hole that eats other galaxies. You don't have to worry about principalities and powers, okay? God is bigger than the boogeyman. All right, I'm just having fun now. Let's keep going. I love this name. This is actually one of the names of God. Aaron frequently talks about the, what's the exact number? 
951 names of God, right? Here's one of them. His name is the fear of Isaac. This name can mean the fear. It can mean the terror. It can mean the horror of Isaac. Again, space shark. The Lord is called the fear of Isaac. Said Jacob swore by the fear of Isaac, his father. In Exodus 34, 10, the Lord promises to do a fearful thing. He says, I will terrify them in my wrath. Okay. Zephaniah 2, 11 says, the Lord will be terrifying to his enemies. And in graphic detail, it talks about his enemies quaking in fear before him when he comes in judgment. That those who have risen up against them, him, when the Lord rides out to meet them, they will shake. In fact, this moment happens if you read Revelation where the armies of the earth gather to do battle with the Lord. And when Jesus splits the sky and begins to come and they see him riding down with the heavenly host, they say, let the mountains fall upon us because they're terrified of the face of the Lord. Friends, I'm trying to give you an understanding of the fear of the Lord here. Hebrews 10.31 says this, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So this is the Bible, okay? This, this is authoritative. This isn't an opinion about God. These are the facts about God. And all throughout this book, there is a revelation of God as one that ought to be feared. That when we stand before him, there should be something in us that, that trembles and shakes and that marvels and that says, oh my God, who are you? Right, there's there's got to be that thing inside of us. Let's go to the, the next part. I want to talk about some commands. So that's, that's what's been revealed to us about God. Now I want to talk about some commands where we've actually been commanded to, to fear God. So the first one is this. There's actually, I, I found 20 to 30 different verses that say to fear God or to fear the Lord. 20 to 30. It's all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. But I'll just read a few of them. So fear God is a command. Leviticus 19.14. It was probably 10 times in Leviticus. Deuteronomy 6.13. It was probably 5 to 10 times in Deuteronomy. Multiple times in Ecclesiastes. Where one of the wisest men in all of human history said, this is the conclusion of the matter. He's talking about what the purpose of life is. He said to fear God and to keep his commandments. Okay, You find it in 1 Peter 2.17. He says, fear God. Revelation 14.7. It's in one of the worship songs of Revelation. It says that we ought to fear God. Let me give you another one. This one of my favorites. It's in Psalm 2. This is a passage that's prophesying about Jesus as the coming king. And in this passage, it's talking about how we ought to respond to Jesus. And it talks about some leaders who are very casual about Jesus. In fact, they kind of laugh at his commandments and they mock his coming. And they say that they won't submit to his word. And then it shifts in the psalm and it says, the Lord sits on his throne in heaven and he laughs at them. And here's what it says that they need to do. It says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, bow down and kiss the sun, lest his wrath come upon you. This is a warning in Psalms to those who would take Jesus lightly. 
Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. It says in 1 Chronicles 16.30 that we are to tremble before the Lord. It says in Philippians 2.12 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So even after salvation, there's a dimension of fear and trembling. It's different than before salvation. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But there is a dimension of fear and trembling. There's a dimension of awe and wonder. There's a dimension of honor and respect that we bring into our relationship with the Lord even after salvation, even after we've been adopted as sons and daughters, even after we come to know him as a loving, gracious, merciful father, even after he's wrapped us in his arms and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even in that position up against his chest where we feel his heartbeat, there should be on the inside of us a little quake. I'm in the arms of my father, but my father makes space sharks. So that, so I just want to remember that, right? It's like if your, your dad was a Marine and had been on multiple tours and had become an expert in the art of war. If your dad was giving you a hug with his massive biceps that you know are like lethal weapons, you would be thinking, this is so amazing. I love you, dad, but please don't squeeze too hard. And don't use your guns on me right? Take those and use them on the enemy, but don't use them on me, right? This is the tension that we live in. It says in Nehemiah 5, 9, to walk in the fear of God. And it says in Hebrews 12, 28, that we are to offer our worship with reverence and fear. So even in our worship and praise, there should be a dimension of that reverence that we're talking about. This has been commanded by the scriptures, non-negotiable. Let's go to the next one. Now I want to talk about what the Bible promises will come to those who gain a revelation of the fear of the Lord. So if you can tap into this revelation, if you can plug yourself into the fear of the Lord and have this thing zap your spirit and actually begin to live in it and walk in it, there are certain things that are going to come to you that the Bible has promised and they only come to those who fear the Lord. They only come to those who tremble before him. Here's the things that it says. The first one is this, that the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. And I already quoted that to you. So if you're looking for wisdom in your life, if you're looking for knowledge in your life, if you're looking to understand how to do life better, start with the fear of the Lord. You won't be able to gain it without it. The next thing it says that the fear of the Lord brings life. It says it's like a river of life. It's like a tree of life, right? If you feel dead on the inside, if you feel barren, if you feel fruitless, if you feel hopeless and faithless and discouraged, and you need that vibrancy to be restored on the inside of you, one of the ways to get it is to tap into the fear of the Lord. For the fear of the Lord brings life to the soul. Here's what it says in Proverbs 14, 26 and Job's 4, 6, that the fear of the Lord brings security. The fear of the Lord brings safety. The fear of the Lord brings confidence. The fear of the Lord brings protection. That it's actually the safest place to be is in the fear of the Lord. The next thing it says, the fear of the Lord brings blessing upon your life. 
There's multiple psalms that talk about blessed is the one that fears the Lord. The blessing of God comes upon the one that, that approaches him in this way. And let me say this one. Next is 2020, Psalm 19.9, Proverbs 14.2. says, the fear of the Lord brings purity. The fear of the Lord is what keeps us from evil. The fear of the Lord is what enables us to say no to temptations when they come. It says that the fear of the Lord is clean. It cleanses us, purifies us, brings us into holiness. These are the promises related to the fear of the Lord. You guys with me so far? I know I just went, I went hard on you there. You good? You okay? All right. So let me ask this question. We've talked about the revelation of the fear of the Lord. We've talked about the command to fear the Lord. We've talked about the promises that come with fearing the Lord. But it raises this question, and we still really haven't answered, but what, but what is the fear of the Lord? But what is it actually? Right, what does it mean to, to fear the Lord? And I, I want to try to define this for us, and then I'm going to read a, a story that, that might help with it. But let me give you a couple of different things that I, I believe what it means to fear the Lord. Okay? The first is this. Let's just talk about fear for a second. Why, when do we feel fear? Okay? Or awe, or wonder, or terror, all the different things that this can mean. When do we feel this? Okay? Fear is the emotion that we feel when we are in the presence of the unknown. I'll say that again. Fear is the, the emotion, the feeling that we have on the inside when we are in the presence of the unknown. Okay? When we are standing before something that is unknown to us, when we are standing before something that is mysterious, when we are standing before something that we cannot control, when we're standing before someone that we cannot manipulate or deceive or get to bend to our will, there's this thing that rises up on the inside of us that trembles and says, you are greater than I am. A thing inside of us that bows. This is the fear of the Lord. It's what you feel when you're in front of the unknown. The other time that we feel fear, this is how God designed us, is we were made to feel fear when we are in the presence of something dangerous. Right? When you are standing on the edge of a cliff and you could fall to your death, what does your body do? Right? Your brain begins to... And hormones begin to explode and you begin to sweat and your palms get all clammy and your heart begins to race and everything inside of you says, get away from the edge of the cliff. What are you doing? Right? That thing inside of you that's warning you, it's your survival instinct, it's fear. It says, you are in the presence of something dangerous. You're in the presence of something dangerous. And it's important that we regard, we're going to look at an awesome quote from C.S. Lewis here in a minute, but it's important that we understand that when we're before the Lord that we are in the presence of someone that is, that is dangerous. There are many people throughout history that have come to understand that God is dangerous. There are people who have raised their fist against God, and when God raised his fist back, they didn't like it. Think about when Pharaoh 
said to God, God said, let my people go. And God said, no, thank you. And God said, oh, you want to do that? Oh, you want to do it like that? He did not have the fear of the Lord. He didn't think that God was going to do anything until he did. And at the end of it, he cried out and begged them to go because God had broken him. It's when you stand in the presence of something unknown. It's when you stand in the presence of something dangerous. And here's the other thing. We feel fear when we're standing before a situation when we don't know where the outcome will be. Where there's a riskiness to the situation. This might turn out good for me. Or this might turn out bad for me. I'm not sure. And in those moments where we're uncertain about the outcome... And there's risk involved in the relationship, we feel fear. I remember when I went to go ask Anna on our first date, there was risk involved, right? She might say yes, she might say no. And I remember being so nervous. I'm pretty sure I went up to her and like my voice probably broke and I was like, hi, I'm Corey, do you wanna go on a date? You know what I mean? Like I, I was so nervous, all of my cool left me Anything about me that might impress a woman just immediately evaporated. And I walked up to her and I tried to ask her on a date. She totally turned me down, if you're wondering. I, she told me no. And I tried again. And she told me no again. And I waited a little while and then I tried again. And then she finally said yes and went on a date with me. And, um, but I was, I was afraid. I was nervous because I didn't know what she was going to say. Right? It was uncertain. These are three different aspects of the fear of the Lord, but I feel like a story will illustrate it better. And this is one of my favorite stories from the Chronicles of Narnia. If, and don't, don't flip it yet. If you guys have ever, um, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the second to last book in the series is called The Silver Chair. I actually just got done reading it with Adeline. And uh, for some reason, this is the quote of all of the Chronicles of Narnia that I have most remembered my entire life. Um, and maybe it won't be the one that you've remembered. There's lots of great ones. But this is the one that, that touched me deeply. And there is this little girl named Jill who gets taken from our world into this other world called Narnia. If you don't know the story. I'll try not to do spoilers. This is right at the beginning of the book, so no spoilers. Okay? And she ends up on this mountain. And she's alone on the mountain. She's hungry and she's thirsty and she's lost. And she doesn't know where to go. And in her thirst, she starts searching around for something to drink, and she starts to hear that there's this, this trickling sound. There's a, there's a river nearby. And so she begins to search, and she comes to the edge of the river. And when she gets to the river, she starts to approach, and then she looks up, and she sees that there's a massive lion that's laying on the other side. And here's what the lion says to her. You can go to the next page. The lion speaks and says, If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, Jill stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wilder, stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice. I love that description. Are you thirsty? said the lion. Jill said, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Uh, 
Would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. I love this question. Do you eat girls? She asked fearfully. And this is what we kind of always wonder when we're standing in the presence of God. Like, are you space sharks? Like, are you going to devour me? Do you eat girls? She asked fearfully and listen to his answer. I'll never forget it. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. And Jill said, I daren't come and drink. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. That'll preach, huh? Isn't that what we want when we come into the presence of God? Sometimes we want the river, but we don't want the lion. Do you feel me? Sometimes we want the river. Oh, we want his presence, and we want his refreshing. We want his reviving of the soul, and we want his love, and his grace, and his mercy, and his kindness, and his forgiveness. And we want him to be good to us, and to have favor upon us, and to bless us, and to prosper us, and to lead us into our destiny, and to make us great. We want the river. We want to drink deep of him, and we want him to satisfy the soul. But sometimes we want to strip him of the fact that he's a lion. I love what another character, Mr. Tumnus, says about him. He is not a tame lion. He's wild. And you can't take the wildness out of God. That there's a ferocity in God. There's a roar in God. There's something untamable, uncageable in God that you can't get rid of. And when you come into his presence, you're standing before the great I am. And it's what he says there but there's no other river. There's no other water. There's no other place to drink and satisfy the soul. And so when we come to him, to be filled by him, we come into the presence of one that is holy. And we have to learn how to navigate that tension. Go ahead and switch the, the page. I'll give you one more quote from Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis just said it so well. In the line in the witch in the wardrobe, Lucy is asking about Aslan for the very first time when, when they first hear about this, this great lion who represents the Lord. And she, she asks the question, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And this is the confidence that we have when we come into the presence of the Lord. Is he dangerous? Yes, he's dangerous. Is he wild? Yes, he's wild. Might he ask you for things that you don't want him to ask you for? Yes, he probably will. Will he demand things of you that you don't want to have demanded of you because they're gonna push you out of your comfort zone? 
Will he force you to face your fears? Oh, he will. Is he safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Here's where I want to conclude today. We can turn to the final passage. This is where we come into 1 John 4, 18. And this is where I want to hold the two things in tension. John is writing about this topic, about the fear of the Lord, fear of judgment, fear of punishment, fear of being rejected by him in the end, fear of being a failure, fear of not having your life measure up to anything, the fear of not being rewarded on that great, and what the Bible says is the great and terrible day, when each one of us stands before God. Do you know that? It says, in the, it says that you have two appointments that are already scheduled. It says to man, it hasn't been appointed to die once and then stand in judgment. Do you know that? You already have an appointment with death. You do, it's already scheduled. You don't know when it's scheduled, but the Lord does. You have a day when you will breathe your last. Some of you longer than you're thinking and some of you shorter than you're thinking. It says you are appointed to die once and then to stand before the Lord in judgment. There will be a day where you will talk to the Lord about your life. A lot of preachers don't want to say that anymore, but I want to get up here and say it. There is a day where you will stand before the Lord and you will talk to him about your life. It is going to be the ultimate performance review. I don't know if you've ever been to a performance review with, with your boss. Oh my goodness, right? Trembling. There's a day where you're going to go before him and he's going to performance review your life and he's going to be honest with you about your choices. And the fear of the Lord can actually make that day a really great day. I love what Mike Bickle, a teacher from Kansas City, used to say. He say, Lord, shock me now so that I won't be shocked then. Shock me now. Tell me now. Correct me now. Show me the right way now because I don't want to get there and have you look back on my life and tell me that I didn't go the right way. I want to hear from you now, God, so that on that day we get to have a massive party instead of a hard performance review. Right? Do you guys believe this? It says, Paul, he says that every person will come before the Lord to be rewarded for the righteous deeds that they did in this life. He said, some of them, their deeds will be like wood and hay and stubble. And when they come into the fire of that day, it says they'll be burned and they will make it into eternity as those who barely escape the fire. But he said, others will build with gold and silver and precious jewels. And those things will pass through that fire of that day and they'll come out on the other side and that will be their reward. And in the resurrection, he says, you not know that all will, we will not all be the same. But like the stars that shine differently in the sky, there will be different dimensions of glory that are given to different believers based on the choices they made in this life. Do you believe that? This is the fear of the Lord. Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me then. Have the conversations with me today that will lead me to success in my eternal tomorrow. I want it now, God. Talk to me now. Don't leave me in my sin or in my compromise or going in the wrong direction. Here's where I want to end. And Anna, if, if you can come up. 
She's going to play for us here at the end. Baby, pass off. That was a solid pass. You guys okay? Can you guys stand with me? I'm giving this my best go up here. But I, I also recognize that this thing isn't going to land in your heart unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. I can't preach you into the fear of the Lord. I can't teach you into the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has to usher you into the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has to take you and bring you into this reality. I can't get you there. I know that I can't get you there, but he can. So I want to slow down here at the end. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to do his work. Right where you are, I just want you to, to put out your hands. We're just going to wait and pray for a minute, and then I'm going to finish this thing up. I just want to dial down for a sec, though, and wait on the Lord. Where you are, I want you to I want you to pray a couple simple prayers with me. Let's start with this one. Good morning, Holy Spirit. It's one of my favorite prayers. It's still morning. We got a few minutes. Let's try it again. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I want you to pray this. I need you. I need your help. I need revelation. I need you to teach me. I can't do it without you. I want you to pray a dangerous prayer right here, if you will. Just pray this Holy Spirit, give me the fear of the Lord. Put a tremble inside of me. Here's where I want to take a minute. Just stay standing and keep your eyes closed. You don't have to look around. I just want to finish this. I want to talk about this idea of perfect love driving out fear. When I was meditating on this verse earlier this week, the Lord brought me back to a vacation that we took recently to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And we went to the Ripley's, believe it or not, aquarium. And at first I didn't understand what the Lord was talking about, but I, I saw this picture, this memory of being down in this tunnel and we were riding underneath this great aquarium probably like leaning back and eating our dipping Dots. And above us were like sharks and squids and things that kill humans. And what I felt like the Lord revealed to me in that picture was, Corey, the only reason that you felt safe the only reason that you felt secure 
The only reason that you were leaned back, comfortable, eating your dipping dots was because of that glass barrier. If that glass barrier had suddenly cracked and broken and the waters had come rushing in on me and I was suddenly surrounded by all of those sharks, I would not have been comfortable any longer. I would have been terrified. But because there was a protection, because there was a covering, I was able to stand in the midst of a great shark tank with danger all around me and be in perfect peace and even have fun and smile and laugh with my kids around me. And I feel like the Lord was saying, Corey, this is the picture that I want you to have when you think about being in my presence. That if not for the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if not for his broken body and his shed blood, if not for the fact that he had forgiven all of my sins, and drank the full measure of the wrath of God on my behalf, I would not feel safe and secure in the presence of God. But because of what Jesus did, I get to approach the throne of grace with boldness. And instead of feeling the terror of judgment, I get to feel the ecstatic wonder of looking up at him and all of his holiness. I wanna to speak to two groups of people this morning. The first one is this, if you are in this room and you do not know the Lord and you have not given your life to the Lord and you have not come under that covering that only Jesus can give, and let me quote Hebrews to you again. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, unforgiven. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, unforgiven. If you were to die today and to go before the Lord without your sins washed away by his precious blood, it would be a terrible, terrifying, horrifying thing. Friend, you do not want to fall into the hands of the living God with the wrath of God still resting upon you. And there's only one way to get it off, Jesus. Friend, if you're in this room and you have not given your life to Jesus, if you have not cried out for Jesus to save you from your sins, if you haven't thrown yourself out his feet and asked for his mercy, I beg you this morning, if you're far from the Lord, if you're backslidden, if you've been pretending like you know Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, friend, you don't know that you have another day. And I wanna ask you today, I'm not trying to scare the hell out of you, but I am trying to give you a full revelation from the Bible about what's true. Give your life to Jesus today. Give your life to Jesus today. If that's you, I want you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Say, Lord, save me. It's as simple as that. Lord, save me. Lord, save me from my sins. I'm sorry. Don't throw me in the shark tank with no covering. 
But for those of you who are in this room and you know the Lord, this morning I want to pray that He'll restore that sense of awe and wonder. That you'll feel the greatness of God weighing down upon you. You'll get lost in Him again. You'll feel the reverence again. You'll feel the worship rise up in you and explode out again. That's what He wants to do this morning. If that's you, I want you to put your hands in front of you and I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I'm asking right now that by your spirit, you would release the fear of the Lord. By your spirit, release the fear of the Lord. Release that sense of awe and wonder. Take our breath away again, God. Stun us again, God. Cause us to tremble again, God. Let our knees shake a little bit in your presence again as we stand before the Almighty. Let us not water you down, Lord. Let us not make you something small enough that can be controlled or contained. And in this house, God, I ask that you would be wild, that you would be the untamed lion that you would be the one that we allow to do anything and everything, even when it makes us feel uncomfortable and nervous. That you would keep us on the edge of our seats, God. Release the fear of the Lord, we ask right now. So friends, Anna's gonna play for just a few more minutes. If you want to come forward and spend some time with the Lord, the altar will be open. If not, thank you so much for coming today. We bless you as you go. Maybe just take conversations out into the atrium. For those who want a few more minutes with the Lord, we're going to have the altar open. And prayer teams, if you want to come forward, lay hands on those who need it. And I would say if you have sickness in your body this morning and you need healing, if your heart's broken this morning and you need someone just to stand with you, if you need to get right with the Lord, If you want to know how to be saved, how to begin that journey with him, this altar is open. They're ready to come and meet you where you are. Amen.